Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Monday, November 15th, 2020, and this is episode 41A. This episode is going to be including things that would have been in the 40B episode, which I was not able to post due to work schedules and whatnot. So we're just making it an extra sized 41A episode, including all of the content that's happened in the past week. Um, and that is going to include the news, which is not the Disney Plus Day news. This is all the non-Disney Plus Day news, which includes a number of MCU news points, as well as rumors, a Star Wars news point, and some discussion revolving around Henry Cavill. For the comic book pick list for last week's comics, I only have two to talk about. I am so behind on reading comics, it is not even funny. I have like five or six that I was supposed to add to this pick list I haven't even gotten around to reading yet because I've been so busy. So we're just going to cover My Date with Monsters number one and Batman Imposter number two. They both blew my mind, so I'm really happy I chose those two as the ones that I got around to reading before recording this episode. After that, we will get into the comic book pull list for the coming week. I'm going to do a little bit differently on this episode where I'm going to talk a little bit in depth about the issues that are either one shots, specials, or number ones, of which there are four. Those include Batman Secret Files, The Gardener number one, Vampirella Holiday Special 2021, Radio Apocalypse number one, and Wonder Woman Evolution number one. And then to very briefly go over the ones, the other comics that have already been continuing for a while that are also coming out this week that I will be uh, checking out and that I personally can recommend you to check out. After all of that is said and done, we will go into Disney Plus Day. There was Friday on the 12th. It was a little different than I think a lot of people expected. I know different than I expected. Um, and we will have a little precursor to this to remind everybody that corporations are <laughs> never good uh, before we get into all the celebration of this wonderful stuff that was premiered in a sense, updated, I guess, on Disney Plus Day. Uh, we're going to have somewhat extending segments on the She-Hulk show, Moon Knight, and Ms. Marvel shows, as well as the characters uh, based on them in the comics before covering the rest of the Star Wars, um, well, really just one Star Wars item, and then the rest of the Marvel stuff across the board. And that is what today's episode is going to look like. Sound like you know. Before we get things started, as I have been saying the past couple of episodes, um, I recently discovered that if you have a podcast and it's on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, you get five, ra five star ratings. Doesn't matter what if they say anything or not, but the five star ratings will get people um, to be able to see your podcast in the suggestions and things like that more often. So if you could do that, if you do watch this, excuse me, listen to this on Apple Podcasts, that would be super cool and we can get more listeners involved and that would be excellent to growing the podcast community. If you would like to find me online, uh, my Instagram is Anna with the comics, uh, because my name is Anna and I have quite a lot of comics, although I haven't posted on Instagram uh, in posts in a while. I meant to today, we did get the Captain Carter action figure and um, I did not do a review of her, but I did do a review of Tigra and Meow Schools. They're up on my YouTube page. Um, that I'm really, really excited about both of those for different reasons. Really, really different reactions to both of those for different reasons as well. Um, but 
I'm going to be posting, piping. I'm going to be posting about those figures at some point on my Instagram coming up here soon. And probably um, some other things that are coming up in the comics world that I'm excited about. My Twitter, if you would like to find me there, is Savage She Geek. I post my podcast updates, anything like how we didn't have the Friday episode. Um, it was pushed back to today, and that was posted on the Twitter page. Um, my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com and that encompasses all of the old writing and blogging that I did, which has now been replaced by the podcast content, more or less. Um, so you can go back and refer to all of those old reviews and discussions and picks and polls and things like that um, if you have an interest in it. Or you can check out some of the other stuff that is on this site, including reading orders for some of my favorite pre-will characters, um, including Madeline Pryor, who is going to be returning next month in the early December in the comics. I am very excited for that. And she's going to have an extended plot line, best I can tell, going through New Mutants in January. Uh, and that will be involving the new Sorcerer Supreme, apparently Ileana Rasputin, aka Magic, who I also have the complete reading order up there for. The Madeline Pryor reading order is completed. I have all the summaries of every single appearance she has ever had um, from a female reader's lens, of course. And back in the day, sometimes there were some very not so great and things that just didn't age well. <laughs> and that is all commentated on uh, as need be. Um, and that that took me, I, I reread it myself before doing the Inferno podcast episode. That took me less than two hours to read her entire character summary for every one of her appearances. I don't have it quite as in-depth for Ileana because she has thousands of appearances to Madeline's like 200 and something. Um... But I also have all of Clea's appearances. She's going to be popping up in the MCU and she recently popped back up in Death of Doctor Strange, which is very exciting and in what I can only imagine is going to be her MCU adjacent outfit. Um, so that's some fun, cool stuff. And so if you'd like to learn about her, I will be doing a special episode whenever it is finally confirmed in one way or another that she is going to be in Multiverse of Madness, as everybody is kind of assuming for a lot of reasons my cat is trying to break into the closet. Oh, just kidding. That was not her breaking. That was her playing with an action figure stand piece that had a little plastic clear piece. Oh my gosh. Only in this house. No, actually in a lot of houses. Um, in any case, all of that is available on my site, www.sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. Uh, the last thing you can find on there is links to everywhere that you can listen to the podcast. I'm not sure why Spotify has yet to update with the last episode that was posted, the Eternals review episode. I haven't gotten any response on my help request video uh, emails for that, so we'll wait and see what that's about. But um, that does include, I do have all my episodes posted to my YouTube channel, which is again, Sensational She Geek. Um, I also post action figure review videos there. I did the, um, the Marvel Hasbro HasLab Sentinel from 2020. We got him, he's pretty cool. I need to do an update video on him and show how the lights work because it's actually a lot more intricate than you would expect of a light system. And like I said earlier, uh, the past over the weekend, I was able to post review videos for both Tigra, the Marvel Legends figure, and the Fortnite Shadow Meow Skulls. I don't play Fortnite, don't really care about Fortnite, 
I have a black cat though, so you bet your butt I got that Shadow Meow Skulls. Uh, he came with some really cool stuff, so you can check all of that out in the video, maybe answer some of my questions about context for everything. <laughs> I also have a new podcast Patreon, it is just Sensational She Geek. It is set up for donations to support the podcast. Um, if you would like to donate in that way, it would be like a monthly thing on Patreon. I'm working on rewards for that. At this point, it's more of a just um, support it because you enjoy it and you get something out of it kind of thing. Um, and anything, of course, would be greatly appreciated. Any money that goes into any of the donation systems for the podcast does go to making me not have to, or letting me not have to work what I call my day job um, and be able to spend more time putting in more effort onto the podcast. The goal being um, at some point in time, I would not have to be working the day job and would be able to put actual money into the podcast to do things like add a jingle or transitions or something like that, um, monetize it, you know, something like that to make it a little bit more fun for listeners. Other places that you can donate are Kofi, Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, and those are all linked on my link tree, which will appear linked at the very bottom of each episode's description. I also have a sticker for sale on Redbubble that says a woman's place is in the comic shop. Um, a few people have gotten that one. And I think it's pretty fun. It's a nice twist on the age old saying we all know, um, and it's a really fun one. So if you would like to get that as a sticker, a shirt, a print, a mug, whatever you want, it's Redbubble. You can do that, um, and you can check that out on Redbubble under She Geek Shop. It's time for the news, and this is the non Disney Plus Day news. We'll get into the Disney Plus Day at the last segment of the episode. Starting off with the news on the section of MCU rumors and real news. Starting off with the news that tomorrow we are going to be having an official No Way Home trailer. This has been confirmed by both Marvel and Sony. There was a new poster release today, but there is literally nothing new or interesting about it. Um, my expectations for the trailer are just about the same. <laughs> Uh, so we will be discussing whatever it is that comes out in the No Way Home trailer on the next episode. Um, it depends on what ends up being in the trailer. I can't, I was going to say extended discussion or limit. I, it'll depend on what the trailer is. If it's basically the same thing we saw last time, it'll just be a brief discussion. But I'm hoping that it's something that we can actually really dig into and get excited about for the movie again, since I think everybody's getting, I mean, I'm definitely getting Spider-Man fatigue, and the movie hasn't even come out yet. So um, we'll see if this trailer makes us feel better about things. Um, moving on, there, after, uh, post-Eternals release, right, there has been some discussion about uh, Galactus for some reason. <laughs> Specifically, the fact that the writer of Eternals named Kaz Furpo, they claim that they would be down to do Galactus as a villain in the second Eternals movie. I wasn't honestly thinking there would be a second Eternals movie. I don't really see a point to that, to be honest, um, because they, I kind of, where I see them going is kind of in their own directions, right? 
the three who went off to space are probably just going to show back up and we're not going to get much of an explanation on that right away. That's my assumption. We're not going to see them be rescued in space. That's that's definitely not going to happen. Um, I just didn't really see them teaming back up as the Eternals. I kind of saw them joining and branching off and creating their own teams, but who knows? What do I know? Um, the idea of Galactus, you know, all well and dandy, but there just isn't really, <laughs> there isn't any reason to do that. Um, the characters have no connection basically between them, so it really wouldn't make sense to add him in there. There were a lot of articles about, you know, the difference between Celestials and Galactus, which really threw me when I saw them because I don't think that was ever a concern. The only things that they have in common are that they're massive space beings, but Galactus is, is the world eater. He literally consumes worlds. The Celestials are born from worlds so that they can then create more. There, There's no connection. There's no similarity and they don't interact in the comics period really. So I just don't, I just don't really see why, why would we put Galactus in Eternals too? I would rather see that in a more appropriate place. Just saying. Wesley Snipes, the original Blade actor, has come out in support of Mahershala Ali as Blade, and all is right and good in the world. <laughs> as this is just a nice little bit of happiness for, for your news this week, that these, the two of these are uh, aware of each other, supporting each other's roles and former roles and supporting of each other's roles. And it's all just great bros. We love it. We love to see it. Um, I also want to say that after the end credit scene of the Eternals, I am super duper pumped for the coming era of MCU movies. I think that's probably an understatement. Um, I know this is superhero movies and nothing here is serious, but it's so much fun. Plus, my husband and I were talking the other day um, about this era of Avengers that took place in the 80s, which we kind of feel is more or less where the MCU is headed. Um, I, I would say as it's the closest comic counterpart to where the MCU is going to be heading in, within the next decade, right? Um, and that team, it was led by Monica Rambeau, Captain Marvel at the time. Um, and then she, what is she now? She's Spectrum now. Um, so led by her, she's obviously, we've seen her in WandaVision. She's around, she's got her powers. It hasn't really been developed into a thing yet, but they're there. We saw them in Montevision. And then, uh, so Monica Rambeau, Black Knight, a.k.a. Dane Whitman, a.k.a. King of the North. <laughs> Kit Harrington. <laughs> I didn't write it down. Uh, so he's already in the MCU. We know he's got the blade. He's going to be Black Knight. Cool. Hercules not in the MCU currently, but due to Zeus being confirmed in Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok coming out in 2022, uh, Hercules has been strongly rumored as being a character who's going to be added to that movie. Uh, another character on this team of 80s Avengers was the Wasp, clearly a character in the MCU. Namor, who was all but confirmed as being a character who's going to appear in Wakanda forever. Thor, of which we are going to about to have two kind of versions of in the MCU. Doctor Druid, who was a magician very similar to Doctor Strange. I'm hoping that by the time Multiverse of Madness comes out, we have a plethora of magicians that we could pick from to put onto a hero team, not just Strange. And then this team also had Vision and Scarlet Witch for a time before they went off to make babies. Brain babies. 
Um, and you could easily fit Blade in there as he has been an Avenger since then. Uh, most actually fairly recently he's been an Avenger. He was like a, an add-in team member. And I know I've already discussed the Midnight Suns a few times, also known as the Nine. This includes um, uh, Blade, Ghost Rider. Is that right? Is it Blade? It's, I know it's it, it's a bunch of these guys. My point is Blade, Ghost Rider, Morbius, and Moon Knight are, I don't know, I'd even add Doctor Strange into that. Um and Black Knight too. Gosh, yeah. All of those characters have this very specific era of comics that they were really big in. And that was around that time of the 80s where Black Knight was on the team. Oh, Cersei was also on the Avengers team um, late, just post this era. So there you go. Cersei gets added into that too. Um, point being, we have an amazing era of opportunity coming in the MCU. Uh, and I'm really excited to see which directions they choose to go with this. I'm just fascinated by all of it. Um, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm more than anything, I'm just excited to be around while this is happening so I can just observe it all play out and, and the crowd reaction and, ah, uh, I get so sweaty about this stuff, but I'm just so, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like the social response of it too. That's like a big part of my enjoyment of these movies coming out is seeing the world's response to it. So, um, good and bad, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me. <laughs> Moving on from that, we're going to take a brief break with MCU stuff and talk about, uh, the Batman because of MCU actor Barry... <laughs> Very Irish. <laughs> Something Irish. K-E-O-G-H-A-N. My brain says Coogan, but I know that's not right. <laughs> Where uh, He was um, Druig in Eternals, right? He did a great job there. But he is also, he's been cast as someone in Matt Reeves' The Batman. And there are rumors that people are kind of wondering not rumors, people are wondering um, if it's possible that he is a secret Joker casting. It had been rumored since last year, probably, that there is a version of the Joker that Matt Reeves wants to introduce to his Batman trilogy. This Batman movie, it's, it's the first of three. They have already given him the go for three Batman movies. We know this. Um, so there's a lot of time to develop a character into being this, you know, basically head of Batman's rogues gallery, the greatest big bad he ever really faces. Um, currently, Barry, I think people are just referring to him online as Barry because no one knows how to pronounce his last name, but um, he is being listed on various sources as some kind of Gotham PD personnel at the moment. Um, I'm really curious if people have any thoughts on this. Would you prefer to see him as another character? Do you think he would be a good Joker? I personally, you know, having seen him play a part-time cult leader in Eternals, I think that's definitely a good sign for his acting ability um, if the rumors are true. I think that's a person who would make a really good um, Joker. Somebody who can also act as a cult leader. <laughs> I don't know. But but in any case, um, we don't have too much longer to wait because the Batman comes out in theaters March 4th, 2022. 
moving back over to MCU crap, <laughs> we have two points about Black Panther 2, aka Wakanda Forever. Point the first, Letitia Wright's unvaxxed status may cause issues with Black Panther 2 filming. This is probably something that you've come into contact with if you've been on Twitter in the past week. Letitia Wright is an anti-vaxxer. Letitia Wright plays Shuri, the scientist. These things do not make sense. Um, <laughs> there has been many, there have been calls already as soon as she started tweeting stuff about anti-vaxxer things. Um, in 2020, I think, there have been calls to remove her from being Shuri because she is not a good role model for children being an anti-vaxxer um, in every sense of the term as far as I know. <laughs> um, but she is unvaccinated currently um, and at home in London after having, I guess, had a, an accident while filming. Um, and laws have changed since she was in the U.S. that you cannot be foreign uh, working on a work visa in the U.S. without being vaccinated for COVID. So she may not be able to return to film in Georgia, I imagine, next year, since it's already mid-November. Um, again, fans are calling for Disney to just recast her, get her out of the issues, um, she, get, just get her out of our face. She doesn't align with the Disney policies and things that they have been very open in supporting um, and she doesn't even align with what the character herself stands for so morally which is like a really odd thing um, I would not mind if they just sent her off somewhere this all being said um, the news as of today on this is that um, the word is this will probably be Letitia Wright's final role for Marvel, um, no matter which way it goes, whether she gets vaccinated or not. The word is this is probably going to be her last job with Marvel because this experience has kind of taken them so downhill um, and they just don't have faith in her the way that they did. The second Black Panther Wakanda Forever rumor is that Actually, circulating for a little while over the past month or so, actually, there have been rumors that the writers and such of Wakanda Forever were considering adding the secret love child of King T'Challa, who would himself be named T'Challa, um, to the story so that he could pick up the mantle of Black Panther. And there, I guess there was some, at some point in history, where there was a secret love child in the comics. I honestly didn't go looking into that because... As of today, those rumors have been debunked. Thank goodness. I would not have been a fan of that plotline myself. Um, they were debunked by the MCU VP of Development, Nate Moore, uh, being backed by a conversation that he personally had with director Ryan Coogler. Uh, is he writing it too? I'm not sure, but uh, he's the man in charge, so that will not be happening, so that's good. Um, it does feel appropriate, in my opinion, to leave the character of Black Panther slash T'Challa, especially, be. Just leave it be after Bozeman's death. Uh, that being said, there has been an alarming amount of fans, apparent fans, online who think that it is more uh, woke PC shit, <laughs> as they say, um, to not want to have somebody being recast as T'Challa. <laughs> Uh, which is wild. It's, it's wildly disrespectful not only to Bozeman, but to the to the idea of the world of Wakanda. There's there's more to it than T'Challa. He is not 
the reason that they are a country and that they... <laughs> There's more to Wakanda than T'Challa. And wouldn't it be nice to see some original stories? Who knows? We could be surprised and that could be the best decision that they've ever made. Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. Again, a lot of the MCU stuff these days, I am really just observing everything and just kind of taking interest in how everything plays out. I'm just very curious how it's all gonna go. Because <laughs> this is, we're kind of in uncharted territory for pop culture um, and geek culture and movie culture, these big extended universes that continue for decades. Um, I'm just very interested in how it's all gonna happen. For our last MCU rumor, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I believe according to Dave Bautista himself, is going to be Dave Bautista's last MCU film because of this statement that I, I believe it was him who made. People are speculating that Drax is going to die in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and be replaced by his daughter, Moondragon. I, for one, uh, first of all, I do believe this is probably fully true because of, um, obviously James Gunn never should have been taken off Guardians and it started a whole other weird incel hive on the internet. But, um, during that time, Dave Bautista said that if James Gunn doesn't come back, neither will he. I think he thought that would mean something to Disney. I think most people realized immediately I guess we're not going to have Dave Bautista in Disney movies anymore. Uh, and things were smoothed over, but things are never going to be 100% the way they used to be in a situation like that, where he's making threats and it's probably not taken lightly. So if he ends up going, uh, I would not be surprised. Um, I don't honestly see a direction for Drax. I don't see a reason for Drax to be in the Marvel Universe without a Guardians, this Guardians team, and we pretty much are aware, since this is James Gunn's last Guardians movie, that this is going to be the last movie of this Guardians team. Um, and with the whole era of new stuff we're supposed to be going into, both on Earth and in space for the MCU, um, the rumors of Nova and of... Adam Warlock um, and stuff like that. Moondragon, she fits right in that universe. So does her wife, Phylavel. Um, Space lesbians, I love this shit. Why have we not gotten a two-pack Hasbro? Um, just, you could have, they could have honestly just said, they're thinking of firing beloved Dave Bautista to bring in Moondragon. I'd have been, hell yeah, I don't care why they're firing him. I just want Moondragon. Um, she's awesome. She's so much cooler than him anyway. So it's a win-win. <laughs> the single Star Wars rumor that I have is quite brief, but it is that Chloe Zhao, the director of Eternals, is going to direct Kevin Feige's upcoming Star Wars movie. That is an untitled movie, we don't even know what it's about or anything like that. So just a bit of good news there. I liked Eternals. I would like an explanation on the very awkward sex scene. But other than that, I liked it. <laughs> and my final bit of uh, news in this segment today is revolving around Henry Cavill. There were a couple of articles that came out about him this week. One which spoke of him being down to do more Superman movies in whatever sense they would happen. He would totally love to do more of the character. He thinks there's plenty of story to 
look into in that sort of sense, which I agree. Obviously, there's uh, close to 100 years of story to go into. Uh, but he also said in another interview that he has seen the fan castings of himself as Captain Britain for the MCU, and he would be down with doing that. Uh, okay, that's probably not going to happen, but could you... Oh, that would be so cool. Captain Britain, Henry Cavill. Oh my gosh. That's just too perfect. Have you seen The Man from Uncle? Is perfect. He, he could do like... A, I think he was the one who actually said... I think he even said, I could see myself playing a slightly modernized version, like how they modernized Captain America. He gets it, man. He gets it. I, I, you know, I would be down for that. Whether or not he ends up coming back for Superman, which I would also be super down for. Um, I think he was an amazing Superman. I believe the fan art I saw of the Superman sequel was titled Man of Tomorrow. That's pretty, that would, that would be an awesome title for a Man of Sequel. Man of, Sp <laughs> Man of Steel sequel. <laughs> um, and that wraps up the news. Again, there are only two comics for this week's pick list. I am embarrassingly behind in reading, but I am super excited for both of these comics. The first is My Date with Monsters number one, when I spoke about it on the last episode prefacing its release. I thought it was going to be a one-shot. It is not a one-shot, and I am really happy because this... Oh my god. Color me impressed as hell. This was such a good kickoff issue. I couldn't shake the feeling while I was reading it that I was holding a manga or something that was about to be turned into an anime in my hands. It, ridiculous plot and all, and I just was so, so into it. Basically, <laughs> the story is nuts. It's American and Japanese militaries teaming up with the Yakuza, yes, that Yakuza, to find a woman, this, this one particular woman, someone to fall in love with. <laughs> More clearly, uh, they are training their soldiers to be someone for her to fall in love with. Why? Because eight years ago, of course, she was part of a team that accidentally opened a portal to nightmares and her daughter became an anchor for those portals to continue opening. To stop her from being an anchor, her dreams have to come true. And her dream is that, because she's a kid, that her mom falls in love again and they're a happy family. Only in an anime, man. Only in an anime. <laughs> this is just... Oh my gosh, the tropes, and I just love this. I can't even describe. It's so cool. And then she has, the mom has this best friend who is a nightmare creature, but it eats nightmare creatures. Um, for some reason, there's no explanation on that yet, but I'm sure we'll get one eventually. And then her daughter wants them to fall in love. I don't think that's actually going to happen because we're following also this Yakuza member who is like really angry he's been assigned to this unit, but he's being trained to fall in love with her as well. It's just, oh my gosh. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so stupid. It, it's cool. Um, I just love it. I don't know how many issues it's going to be, but I am definitely going to be adding it to my pull list. We also had the second issue of Batman Imposter this week, and I had an equally pleased reaction as I did with my date with monsters. In this issue, um, this is going to be three issues from DC Black Label, in case you'd forgotten. Um, Batman is in his first few years of doing the Batman job, 
and he is seeing a therapist who is aware of who he is because she um, worked with him as a child. <laughs> um, and this is a very interesting version of Batman, of Bruce, that we're seeing. So in this issue, there is the detective, uh, the lovely female detective who is working on this case. In this issue, she and Bruce wind up in a romance that he kind of put in place, but it also kind of happened on its own a little bit. I did not see it coming, <laughs> but once they went over their similarities, I have to admit it, it is kind of perfect. And he, he does get her good too. In one of the scenes, he mentions how they have all these similarities and she automatically assumes that he means how they both saw their parents murdered in front of them as children, <laughs> which is really funny. And he's like, um, no, I meant how we both dropped out of Yale and spent time living in Brazil. <laughs> and she's like so embarrassed, like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean that was so rude. Um, but they do have all three of those things in common. So I, I it kind of works, but uh, I don't think she's going to have a good reaction to discovering that he's Batman because obviously he's sabotaging this relationship for Batman's sake, not letting it thrive for Bruce's because of course, that's what he does. Also, this issue showed that when Bruce was a child and when he was first seeing the psychiatrist, Alfred ended up quitting because he could not handle Bruce. He ended up sending him off to boarding school and just leaving. And then Bruce ends up disappearing at 15, comes back to Gotham as an adult, and here we are now. It's a very cool psychological look at Batman um, with some really odd kind of things happening at the edges. Um, there's only one issue left. I don't know how they're going to wrap it up in one issue, but I'm just loving Batman Imposter. For the comic book poll list this week, um, we have a couple of number ones that we're going to discuss about a little bit more in depth, starting with Batman Secret Files, The Gardener, number one. This is going to be by James Tynion and Christian Ward, uh, covering the story of Pam's ex from college, The Gardener, and potentially reworking in part, at least, Poison Ivy's origin. What it says for the solicitation, this is a one shot, of course. She is shrouded in mystery, her motives a secret, and one cannot help but ask, who is Bella Garten, aka the gardener, really? Green Thumb storytellers James Tinian and Christian Ward dig deep into her past and unearth the secret origins of the latest addition to Batman's rogues gallery. Learn not only how Bella came to know Pamela Isley, but how she was integral to the origin of the woman who would one day be known to all as Poison Ivy. If you've been listening to this podcast for any significant amount of time, you know that I am a really big fan of Poison Ivy. I'm a big fan of her as a villain, though. So I have some issues with how she's been written recently, but I've been doing this thing that I'm calling hashtag Poison Ivy Watch, which is where I'm tracking, since she doesn't have her own series, I'm tracking her appearances and other things to put together where her path is going to take her to hopefully something of her own in the nearish future of DC Comics. So um, just try to keep up with the character. It's oddly difficult to do. They don't make it easy, but um, I will be updating on the next episode, hashtag Poison Ivy Watch, along with uh, Batman number seven, uh, 117, which is Tinyan's last issue in the series. And it will be picked up by Joshua Williamson in December with issue 118, art by Jorge Molina. I mentioned this because if this is Tinyan's last issue, this is probably going to be the last time we see Poison Ivy in Batman for a while. So this will be the end of her arc in this story. 
Which is why it's so important that we have the Batman Secret Files of the Gardener one shot this week so that we can keep it all up to date. We have a Vampirella holiday special for 2021 by Will Robson out this week. He's done a bunch of stuff for single issues across a variety of different comic publishers, but notably wrote Spider-Man Deadpool, which is pretty cool. It says about the series, Wreck the Hall, or the series, it's a one-shot, about the one-shot, Wreck the Halls, Vampirella is haunted slash hunted by the spirits of Christmas, hunters whose holiday tradition is to hunt a mythical creature every Christmas Eve. Is Vampirella prepared for an evening against battle-ready manifestations of the past, the present, and the future? That sounds ridiculous and totally up my alley. I'm going to check this one out. It's from Dynamite Comics. It is not going to be canon with the current Vampirella stuff going on under Christopher Priest. It's just a fun one-shot to add to the character's history. Radio Apocalypse is a number one issue that I'm going to be checking out from Vault Comics this week. It is going to be written by Rom V, who has done a number of really fantastic things in indie comics in the past couple of years and recently. And it's going to have art by Anand... Radha Krishnan. I think I got it. What it says about this series. Long after the rock out of space struck the world and turned it all to dust, in Bakerstown stands the last radio station on the planet. Radio Apocalypse broadcasting into the unknown, a beacon in the dark for those who wander the lost places. Now changing, er, now chained is coming to Bakerstown. Among the refugees flocking into the already precarious settlement, an orphan boy, Rion, caught in an indiscretion, will twine his fate with the radio station, and doing so, begin his mixtape of love and heartbreak and inter, interminable, interminable hope. <laughs> this soundtrack, this soundtrack to the end of the world. It sounds like it's probably going to be um, poetic. <laughs> we'll see how the first issue goes. Um, if it hooks me as much as uh, The Many Deaths of Layla Starr did, which was another series he did. Um, so, so we'll see how the first issue goes and I will report back. Finally, for the last number one we're going to discuss is Wonder Woman Evolution number one. It is following Diana's journey off of Earth, which is when Dara, Dara, Yara Floor will rise up in her place as Wonder Woman. It is written by Stephanie Phillips, who is the current writer of Harley Quinn, and it has art by Mike Hawthorne, who was doing a lot of the Daredevil stuff up until very, very recently. It's going to be eight issues. Whisked away from Earth by a distant cosmic entity, Wonder Woman is forced to navigate a series of perilous challenges that push her to the brink both mentally and physically. At stake is the fate of all humanity, with the alien entities casting Diana as Earth's proxy for a, for a trial judging humankind's worthiness to exist in the universe. Can Diana stand trial to save humanity without losing her own? It's going to be a really cool series. Mike Hawthorne has designed Diana a really awesome outfit. I think there's even a preview of this coming out. And it remember, it's a DC comic, so it is going to be out tomorrow the 16th, as opposed to Wednesday the 17th. The other comics that I'm going to be looking forward to coming out this week include Dark Ages from Tom Taylor. It's the uh, kind of dystopian Marvel story that he's doing uh, a limited series for. Eat the Rich, number four, from Boob Comics. Not All Robots, number four, from AWA. Porcelain, number four, from Ablaze. Marka Andolfo, Sweet Paprika, number five, from Image. 
Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number five. Superman, Son of Kal-El, number five. Both of those are from DC Comics. And Superman, Son of Kal-El is the coming out issue for John Kent. Then we have Decorum, number eight, the final issue from Image Comics. And Spider-Woman, number 17. And X-Force, number 25. Finally, let's discuss Disney Plus Day. The announcements for Disney Plus Day premiered Friday the 12th as a few special looks on the Disney Plus site that you could just stream at your own leisure. Now, before I get into this, it has been going around recently that Disney has been selling fiction novels to other companies without giving shares of the sales to the original authors. It's apparently a pretty widespread issue where Disney is failing to follow through with payment to creators after the work has been made secondary and tertiary income from them for them. Um, so as I go through this today and get excited for all that's coming for the MCU on Disney+, Plus, please do remember that corporations under capitalism are evil by definition, and even if the heiress of Disney um, is not lying when she says she wants them to pay more of their share in taxes, she can't just tell them to do that and have them do that. It doesn't work that way. Again, we are in late-stage capitalism, so the system is literally built against the people and for the corporations. So just be aware as we go through this. First, we're going to go through the coming soon stuff. I'm going to have a lot to discuss for these three shows. It is She-Hulk, Moon Knight, and Ms. Marvel. Starting off with She-Hulk, what they had to say on the Disney site was very basic. Viewers got a first look at Tatiana Maslany in Marvel Studios' She-Hulk, where she plays Jennifer Walters, aka She-Hulk. She-Hulk follows Jennifer, a lawyer who specializes in superhuman-oriented legal cases. She-Hulk will welcome a host of Marvel characters to the series, including the Hulk, played by Mark Ruffalo, and the Abomination, played by Tim Roth. The new comedy series, coming to Disney Plus in 2022, is written by executive producer Jessica Gao and directed by executive producer Kat Coyer... Corio and Anu Vela. Alia. One thing I wanted to note, uh, we did go ahead and watch Shang-Chi on Disney Plus this weekend. Um, I highly recommend it, and, and I will admit the reason I haven't done a review on that is because when I watched it in theaters, I had been drinking and did not remember large chunks of the beginning portion of the movie. Um, <clears throat> but it remains excellent. I think I definitely preferred watching it the second time. For more than one reason. Um, but I have to note that in Shang-Chi, when Wong leaves the fighting ring in China, he like loops himself, you know, the magic thing, back into what would appear to be um, the same place as the lab we see Bruce Hulk and Jen in in the little clip that they give us the behind the scene, not the behind the scenes, but the, like the preview for a little bit. It was like literally 18 seconds. Um, it definitely looks like a crime show, especially after seeing the official titles, which I'm trying to place which crime show they look most similar to right now. I am at Castle. If you can find anything a little more similar, uh, let me know. Um, also, the ending clip of her and Banner looking very 70s detective show, I kind of have to wonder if that is like her inner dialogue happening um, in kind of a maybe breaking the fourth wall kind of way. Like, uh, what was the show with Hilary Duff where she had her cartoon version of herself in her head? 
I, I, that's kind of what I picture that 70s detective show look of her have and Bruce having been from. The only bit of Jen we see as She-Hulk in the clip uh, is, is a little clip of her working out or in a workout look at least from behind. She is pretty thin, I gotta say, even for the sensational form, which I imagine is because Tatiana Maslany is already pretty petite as it is, so making her larger might have just extended her. Honestly, I'm at a loss because Bruce is beefy as hell, no problem, and uh, they did give her a booty, so... <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm missing the muscle structure that I would want to see from any form of She-Hulk, but we'll wait and see what the final version looks like. Um, I don't think the show will at all be like this 18 second clip, which feels like it was just thrown together with a voiceover that won't be appearing in the final version. Uh, it was probably just recorded to give clarity to fans unfamiliar with the character. Speaking of the character, here is the history. Everything you ever wanted to know about Jenna Walters' She-Hulk. Her first appearance was in Savage She-Hulk number one in 1979, written by Stan Lee with art by John Bushima. So when you see little idiot fanboys going on <laughs> cluelessly about how Stan Lee would be rolling in his grave over the MCU making Hulk a woman, you can just laugh at them because that was Stan in 1979. She is a lawyer in LA, daughter of the police chief, and always trying to prove herself to her male co-workers as well as her father. The first issue is purely origin story, going over her relationship with Bruce, him telling her that he's the Hulk, and then the reasoning behind the attack that forces him to save her life with his own blood transfusion on site. She's shot by Goonies of Trask, a notorious Stark villain who she was doing a hit piece on. When Banner, or she was investigating him, um, he was she was investigating him about. When Banner gives her his blood to save her life, it triggers her own transformation into a Hulk form. Though Jen's Hulk retains her intelligence much more than Bruce's, she first transforms on accident in the hospital post shooting and cannot control her painful transformations after that. It's actually Michael Morbius, the living vampire, who uses his blood research to cure her in exchange for her legal defense. Jen does have a nemesis at her work, assistant DA Buck Bukowski, an adult neighbor who <laughs> uh, who has like a girl next door crush or obsession with her uh, called Zapper, and a friend called Jill in the first issue, or the second issue I guess, who takes her around town and dies in a fiery inferno uh, not long after her first appearance. Savage She-Hulk ran for 25 issues to be followed up by Sensational She-Hulk number one in 1989, originally led by the legendary John Byrne, who is largely credited for the success of her character even still today. He established Jen as a delightful, enviable protagonist who could be it all. Stiller lawyer, powerful superhero, and fashionable bachelorette. The series was also a success... Uh, success in the comic first, making Jen one of the first fourth wall breaking characters to appear in comics. This creative device, made popular in modern times by Deadpool, is when characters on the page break from the script of their comic reality and address the reader directly. The most obvious example of this was the cover of issue of Sensational She-Hulk number one, where Jen tells the reader that if the series doesn't do well, she's going to come tear up their X-Men comics. Of 
course, when the series was cancelled after 60 issues, the final cover homages the first, with Jen stating, Okay kids, we had a deal, now hand over those X-Men comics. She-Hulk was brought back into her own series with She-Hulk number 1 in 2004, written by the unfortunate Dan Slott. His vision for Jen was a much more sensual one, with 12 issues in the first series and 38 in the second, which brought in more creators. She-Hulk Volume 3 was written by actual real-world lawyer and comic book writer Charles Soule, ran from 2014 to 2015, and showed more of the professional aspects of Jen while still keeping her a fun green superheroine. It also saw the establishment of the law offices of Jennifer Walters, PLLC, which was Jen's own law firm, including Jen in her fully green glory, Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, Paranormal Paralegal, and Angie Huang, and Angie's white-headed capuchin monkey familiar, Hey Hey. Honestly, the team was genius. I love them. Mariko Tamaki's run with Jen is the most recent, starting off called Hulk in 2016 after her cousin Bruce's death, and followed Jen's trauma post-seeing Rhodey killed and herself being put into a coma by Thanos. When she wakes and learns of Bruce's death at the hands of often fellow Avenger Clint Barton, aka Hawkeye. It's a long story. You can blame Bendis' Civil War II for that weirdness, but the combination of those events puts Jen through quite the mental ordeal, including her losing control over her transformations. The Tamaki series ran for 16 issues and switched to legacy numbering after issue 11, picking up with the original She-Hulk 2004 numbering at 159. The first 11 issues of the series were called Hulk Volume 4. This January, we are going to be seeing Jen's glorious return to the apparent she sensational She-Hulk form, specifically, written by Rainbow Roll and drawn by Rohe Antonio. It has a little blurb about it. It says, The best character ever is back in her own series and about to glam up the whole Marvel universe. Jennifer Walters, aka the sensational She-Hulk, is no longer savage and needs to put her life back together. She's got a career to rebuild, friends to reconnect with, and maybe represent in court of law, and enemies to... Well, she may not want to connect with them, but they are definitely going to connect with her. And the last page of the first issue is going to send Jen down a road she's never traveled that will shake up her life and possibly the whole Marvel Universe. They always say shit like that. No doubt the comic is time to buck up interest in the show and vice versa. It's been a long time since Jen came out with her secret identity publicly in the comics, so I have no doubt that she is going to have her whole identity established as a superhero lawyer named Jen Walters before the end of the show. As I said before, Mark Ruffalo is back as Bruce Banner and Tim Roth as the Abomination. We also have Jamila Jamil as the villain Titania. Uh, and unknown roles for Ginger Gonzaga, Joss Segura, and Renee Elise Goldsberry in at least one episode as someone called Amelia. We also have William Hurt and John Bass rumored to be in the show as well. Hurt plays General Ross, who becomes Red Hulk in the comics, and my guess is John Bass will play the pathetic and infatuated Zapper. Moving on to Moon Knight. What they have for their little blurb about it on the Disney site says, Viewers got the first look at Oscar Isaac in Marvel Studios' Moon Knight, where he plays the titular character. Moon Knight is a new globetrotting action-adventure series featuring a complex vigilante who suffers from dissociative identity disorder. The multiple identities who live inside him find themselves thrust into a deadly war of the gods against the backdrop of modern and ancient Egypt. Moon Knight is directed by Mohamed Diab and is coming to Disney Plus in 2022. 
Um, they did have Oscar, according to this clip, they had Oscar Isaac do a British accent, which is pretty funny. Uh, and I did not see coming for some reason, but, um, people are complaining about it. I don't know why they're complaining about it. They're saying that it sounds bad. He's clearly losing his mind actively in this clip. He's gonna sound crazy. <laughs> so that's probably why he doesn't sound, you know, properly British. We see some really cool stuff in the little, you know, another 20 second clip that they showed us from Moon Knight, um, including seeing his new costume, which it definitely looks like they're going the direction of mummy wraps. Um, We'll just start, we'll start going into the character here. We, we have, um, he was created, Moon Knight was created by Doug Moach and artist Don Perlman or per Perlman because Ron Perlman, no, Don Perlin, excuse me. He first appeared in Werewolf by Night number 32 in 1975, where he attacks the wolf Jack Russell. He described as having gauze-like wrappings. So the MCU take with what appears, like I was just saying, to be mummy wrappings is very, very appropriate. At the time, he explains that he was a mercenary paid to wear this costume and hunt the werewolf. On the first encounter, they fight until dawn and Russell returns to human form. When he brings his prize to the buyer, he has to wait till nightfall to prove what he brought was indeed a werewolf. Russell and his friends get to Moon Knight, uh, or get to Russell, and they break him free, taking the money anyway. Uh, while a more villainous character when he was created, Moon Knight turned out to be a more heroic type by his actual creators, starting in Marvel Spotlight 28 and 29 in 1976. He first teamed up with the Defenders across issues 47 through 51, then appeared in a series of Hulk comics, including some of some by the infamous Bill Sienkiewicz, before finally getting his own series in 1980 by Doug Monch and Bill Sienkiewicz. This is where we get the first origin story um, and his connection to key characters in his history. The series ran for 35 issues before it ended and was followed by 1985's six-issue miniseries by Alan Zelenz, Zelenets and Chris Warner, known as Fist, the series was known as Fist of Conchu, not Chris Warner. <laughs> they premiered the idea of him having multiple personalities also in that series. And in 1989, they had the series Mark Spector Moon Knight, which ran for 60 issues and ended in 1994 with the apparent death of Moon Knight, Mark Spector. But this is comics, and Conchu brings his band back in 1998's four issue. Moon Knight Volume 3 by Doug Monch again. Monch? Monch? Whichever pronunciation. Uh, the artist on that one was Tommy Edwards with inker Robert Campanella. Campanella. 1999 had Monch and artist Max Texiera produce Moon Knight Volume 4 as a four-part miniseries and Moon Knight Volume 5 began as an ongoing series in 2006, which ended up going for only 30 issues. 2009 brought us a new series. I'm just listing this all off titled Vengeance of Boon Knight, which was by writer Greg Hurwitz and artist Jerome Opeña, running for 10 issues before Spectre became a main character in Secret Avengers' 21 issues, debuting his Mr. Knight look, though not in name as of yet. 2011's Moon Knight Volume 7 by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev saw the multiple personalities of Spectre filled out in depth, becoming a main aspect of his character. Still, Poor Sale saw its cancellation just after 12 issues. I'd argue it was ahead of its time and will probably have a resurgence in popularity when the show is closer to coming out. 
Marvel now launched Moon Knight Volume 8 in 2014, which had a rotating creative team and solidified the now infamous Mr. Knight personality and costume. The first issue reworked his origin for modern audiences, confirming Khonshu is a real god and possibly extraterrestrial being, that Mark Spector had indeed died and been resurrected by years ago in the tomb of Egypt the tomb in Egypt. It was also reworked that his mental state so that he did not have a dissociative identity disorder, but rather he simply has brain damage, which they kind of made to make, they, they established to mean that alterations to his brain were made by Khonshu, and these alterations were causing Moon Knight to sometimes shift his personality to match one of Khonshu's four distinct roles, which were labeled as Pathfinder, Embracer, Defender, and Watcher of Overnight Travelers. 2016 brought us the all-new, all-different Marvel Moon Knight Volume 9, starting off written by Jeff Lemire and drawn by Greg Smallworld. Smallworld. Smallwood. Similar to Tamaki's Hulk, after 14 issues, it switched to legacy numbering, picking up with 188 and ending the series at 200. That Lemire series also reestablished Spectre's dissociative identity disorder once again, which began in his childhood when Khonshu first touches his mind. They bring it all the way back there. He has a current ongoing series at Marvel, with four issues out so far, and it's being written by Jed McKay. As for Moon Knight's origin... Mark Spector is a former Marine and CIA operative who becomes a mercenary despite his conflicted feelings about violence and morality due to being the son of a rabbi. On a job in Sudan, he is forced to rescue the child of an archaeologist but is defeated by their attacker, a fellow mercenary known as Bushman. He's brought to a recently unearthed tomb for shelter and is left before the statue of Egyptian moon god Khonshu. When Spectre suddenly and fully revives in front of it, he claims it was because Khonshu has taken him as his right hand, and many people believe that he had been hallucinating, which in my opinion, is kind of foreshadowing for his mental health issues that we see later on in the comics. His multiple personalities, we've already discussed very briefly, Mr. Knight. Um, his his suit, his suit, his look is just the, is a plain white suit and white gloves with a plain white mask. Uh, Stephen Grant is one of the personalities. He was a real boy um, whose personality, for whatever reason, Mark Spector took up as a child. And then we have Jake Lockley, who came out to play first when Mark was a teen, leading his parents to send him to a psychiatric hospital, and then leading Mark to join the U.S. Marine Corps, setting him on the path to become a mercenary. Lockley comes out again when he is an adult, he becomes a taxi driver, and he is a recurring personality for Mark through the modern comics. The last one that I'm going to discuss really in depth like that here is Ms. Marvel. What they said for their little blurb is, Viewers got a first look at Iman Vellani, who plays Kamala Khan, aka Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel introduces viewers to Kamala, a 16-year-old Pakistani-American from Jersey City, an aspiring artist, an avid gamer, and vic voracious fanfiction scribe. She is a huge fan of the Avengers, and one in particular, Captain Marvel. But Kamala has always struggled to find her place in the world. That is, until she gets superpowers like the hero she's always looked up to. Iman Vellani stars as Kamala Khan, aka Ms. Marvel. Episodes are directed by pro executive producers Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah, Mira Menon and Shari Charmin Obaid Chinoy. 
Kamala, that, that was the end of the quote. Okay, that was me. Kamala is a member of the Champions, a founding member, originally composed of her, Viv Vision, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Kid Nova, Amadeus Cho Hulk, and Kid Cyclops, because there was that really weird time where there were two Cyclopses. Uh, Kamala's first cameo appearance was in Captain Marvel number 14, and then again in issue 17. You actually have to really search for them. They're not easy to find. Those were written by Kelly Sue DeConnick. It's not really fair to give her uh, credit in creating the character, though, because she first appears written by G. Willow Wilson with the Ms. Marvel powers, and that is really the first time we see her as a character who has any kind of background and is not just an image on a page. Um, we see her as Ms. Marvel for the first time in All New Marvel Now, point one, number one, where we meet her family and her best friend Bruno as well. She got her her first comic series later that year in 2014 by G. Willow Wilson, and we meet the extended cast then, including her frenemy Zoe, who was going to be in the show. As for her origin, in the comics, Kamala is an inhuman, a breed of ancient humans who were experimented on by the Kree, aliens. Their latent abilities activate when they are in contact with pterogen crystals, a rare mineral. Their transformations can be into anything, just like mutant mutations can change a person into anything. More often than not, when someone becomes inhuman, it is physically impossible for them to hide. It becomes a big deal. It well, it became a big deal a while back in the comics when a certain Marvel head editor of some kind or something. Uh, was trying really hard to spitefully drop mutants out of the comics and make Inhumans more popular. It f did not work and ended up extremely poorly uh, when they saw that they had backed themselves into a corner. But the idea, uh, the big idea that's relevant here is that at that time, the Terrigen Crystals were turned into a thick mist that floated across the globe. It was a bomb, uh, blew them into a mist, uh, transforming anybody within human genes who came into contact with it. It was also cancer-causing to mutants, but we really don't need to talk about that. Um, so that was how Kamala got her inhuman powers. The mists eventually made their way to Jersey City. The first two issues of her first series have important dialogue on Kamala being a Muslim teen superhero. When she is changing in the Terrigen egg, yes, really, it's, more, it's like a cocoon actually, uh, she dreams of Captain Marvel giving her whatever she wants. And then when she wakes and gets out, she has physically transformed into the blonde haired, blue eyed Ms. Marvel costume and all. It freaks her out, of course, but it puts her on a mental journey to discovering that she can be a hero and a person as herself. There is no mold she needs to fit into or match to be legitimized. Her actions and her beliefs are what make her a hero, and that takes, and and that's why she ends up taking the name um, and making the title and costume one of her own. Also, we need to mention Kamala was one of the well, she was not one of the she was the first Muslim superhero character to headline a Marvel comic. Kamala's first series ran from in 2014 and ran for four. <laughs> not 14, 19 issues, followed by a 26 series with 38. Magnif Magnificent Ms. Marvel started in 2019 and ran for 18 issues by Saladin Ahmed, just ending uh, in, I believe, October. Mm, possibly a little earlier than that. Um, additionally, Kamala had been the leader of the champions since their founding, including the Outlaw event that happened most recently, and that one ended with October's, October's Champions Volume 4, number 10. 
the Ms. Marvel show was recently announced as having been pushed back as well from 2022 to, or from early 22 to early 2022 to fall 2022, um, with quite a few fan theories that they have done this to make sure that it comes out closer to the premiere of the Captain Marvel sequel, The Marvels, in 2023, which she will also be starring in alongside Brie Larson and... Monica Rambeau's actress name slips my memory, and I apologize. Iman Vellani is cast as the lead role of Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, of course. Matt Lintz is Bruno Carelli, her best friend. Aramis Knight is Kareem slash Red Dagger, a villain. Sagar Sheikh was Amir Khan, a family member. Rish Cameron. Rish Saw Shah as Cameron Zenobia Shroff as Muniba Khan, Mo- Mohan Kapoor as Yusuf Khan, all family members of Kamala, Laurel Marsden as Zoe Zimmer, and then we have Yasmin Fletcher, Laith Nakil, or Nakli, Azar Usman, Travina Springer, Ali Khan, Aliza Rayner, and Nimra Bucha are all cast in undiscrolled, undiscrolled, undisclosed roles. So that's what I know about the show. Now, here are the rest of the things that were discussed or were mentioned um, period on Disney Plus Day. Some of these I have no information on. Some of these I have a few things on. So starting with the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, they had a few uh, concept art pictures and that was about it to show us uh, a lot aside from footage of Hayden Christensen doing some battle practice. So that was really fun. He's going to be Darth Vader and we are all excited. Marvel Zombies is returning, spinning out of what if, we would all assume, as of what part we're going to be starting up there, who knows. If you are interested in reading Marvel Zombie comics, there is no shortage to pick from. Literally just pick one and you're good. There's so many. What if season two, what they said here was the second season of the fan favorite animated series after enlisting Guardians of the Multiverse to stop Infinity Ultron, the Watcher returns in season two of What If to meet new heroes and explore strange new worlds in the MCU's ever-expanding universe. Always cool. There is absolutely no shortage of What If comics as well to read before the second season hits. They mentioned I Am Groot. Believe it or not, Groot first appears in Tales to Astonish number 13 in 1960 with art by Jack Kirby himself. A replica of him was created by Hulk villain Zinmu, uh, you know, the guy that they just had the Build-A-Figure for, for Hasbro. Um, he appears in the Incredible Hulk annual number 5 in 1976, and then Groot himself appears again in Weird Wonder Tales number 19 later that year, written by Jack Lee. Oh my gosh. Stanley and Jack Kirby. Groot's modern history and history with the Guardians team begins with the Annihilation event in 2008, joining Star-Lord, Quasar, Adam Warlock, Rocket Raccoon, Gamora, and Drax the Destroyer. He appears as a baby for the first time in the comics in Groot number 4 in 2015 by Jeff Loveness. The brief thing that Disney had to say about it was, the series of shorts follows baby Groot's glory days growing up, getting into trouble among the stars. X-Men 97 was announced as an animated series taking place after the 1992 series ended its five-year run, therefore 1997 makes sense. That is a fan favorite series, and I have no doubt that the, whatever they come out with next is going to be equally fantastic. 
Echo was confirmed as having her own series. It says, It was revealed that Marvel Studios' Echo will be coming soon to the platform. The series stars Alakwa Cox as Maya Lopez, a character who will be introduced in Marvel Studios' Hawkeye. Maya Lopez first appears in Daredevil number 9 in 1999 by David Mack with art by Joe Quesada as part of the Marvel Knights run of the series. In the comics, Maya Lopez first shows up as the love interest of Matt Murdock while simultaneously searching the knight to find and kill Daredevil as Echo. He uses his abilities to learn who she is and act what you might call undercover as himself to find out her motives. She believes he killed her father, but that was actually Fisk, good old Fisk. For obvious reasons, this opens up a lot of room to play with her in the MCU, especially seeing as she's starting in a series that appears to have her working in the tracksuit mafia, which you can see in the Disney Plus Day Reel, uh, against Hawkeye. With all the rumors of Vincent D'Onofrio's Fisk returning, and it all but confirmed that Charlie Cox's Daredevil will appear in No Way Home, there is so much potential with her, and I am so excited that they've chosen this character to put their faith in that audiences will fall in love with. I also want to mention that Alakwa Cox, who's playing Echo, is an indigenous deaf amputee who will soon be starring in an MCU TV series on Disney+. That is amazing. And meanwhile, James Gunn is over there bringing us Peacemaker. <laughs> Thanks, James Gunn, I guess. We also had it announced there'd be a series called Agatha House of Darkness. It says, It was revealed that Emmy nominee Katherine Hahn will reprise her role as Agatha Harkness for a brand new Disney Plus series. Agatha House of Harkness will reveal more about the character first introduced in Marvel Studios' WandaVision. Jack Schaefer, who served as head writer... That's all writers and stuff, nobody cares. And then it says, be sure to hide all dogs named Sparky. Ha ha ha, poor Sparky. Uh, Agatha first appeared in Fantastic Four, believe it or not, number 94 in 1970 by the great Stanley and Jack Kirby. Her son, Nicholas Scratch, appears in issue 185. In WandaVision, the show, she introduces her pet, her pet rabbit as Scratch, I almost said rat, uh, an easy reference to her son that we will no doubt see expanded upon in the show. I imagine this show was picked up as an opportunity to quickly and easily broaden the supernatural side of the MCU. I'm thinking character or topic of the week style episodes where Agatha gives us all a history lesson and causes a little somehow related mischief. Possibilities I was thinking that they could go into would be things like Satana and Damon Hellstrom, Brother Voodoo, various ghost writers, Elsa Bloodstone or and or her father, Mephisto, obviously, various mystical mutants, the Darkhold, and other magical texts, the list goes on. For Ironheart, all they had to say was the series stars Dominique Thorne as Riri Williams, a genius inventor who creates the most advanced suit of armor since Iron Man. Um, and that is, goes kind of hand in hand with Armor Wars, which is still on the on, in the playbook. It's, it's still coming. It'll be starring War Machine and Ironheart, with uh, potentially them facing off against Justin Hammer, who was that dude from Iron Man too. <laughs> And then we have Spider-Man Freshman Year. The animated series follows Peter Parker on his way to becoming Spider-Man in the MCU, with a journey unlike any we've ever seen, and a style that celebrates the character's early comic book roots. If you want to read comics that are like this, read the Spidey series. It's just called Spidey. And then finally, they talked about, or they had a 
just a very brief, extremely, I think it was just honestly one image look at Secret Invasion where we saw ruffled Nick Fury. It is based off the 2008 comic book event by Brian Michael Bendis and Lionel Francis Yu, where it is revealed that scrolls have been secretly replacing people all over the planet for decades, and they are finally revealing themselves. It kicks off with the discovery that Elektra is a scroll, and one of the bigger stolen hero reveals is Jessica Drew's Spider-Woman, who was replaced by the Scroll Queen. Chances that we're going to see the scroll impersonate Nick Fury at a young age, I'm hoping, are high. The series stars Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury and Ben Mendelsohn as the Skrull Talos characters who we first met in Captain in Marvel Studios Captain Marvel. The crossover comic event series showcase crossover comic oh showcases a faction of shapeshifting scrolls who have been infiltrating Earth for years. Do they mean the series comic events? Okay, so they're talking about what it's based off of. They're not saying that the show is going to crossover stuff, though that would be pretty cool. Um, tie the shows really, really closely to the movies that way, or just closely to each other. And that wraps up, at long last, this episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. The next episode I am going to be doing is going to be Friday the 19th, where I will be covering comic book picks. Hopefully, finally, Doom Patrol Season 3's finale. Uh, the current arc of Young Justice, I think, will be done at that point, and I'll be covering that if I can. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, some updates on hashtag Poison Ivy Watch, and as always, whatever news happens between now and then. Thank you for listening for whatever portion of the podcast you were able to. Um, if you could like, share, subscribe, uh, post, comment, favorite, whatever you can do to interact with the episode on whichever surface, whichever uh, interface you <laughs> listen to it on, do that. I would appreciate it. Um, otherwise, it's halfway through November. Start being thankful if you haven't already, uh, because there's probably something in your life you have to be thankful for, especially this day and age, if you're alive. Um, don't be horrible and do get sweaty about the things that you love. Have a nice week.